Hello and welcome to Frank Fryer Fridays. This is Father Patrick Bykauskas today broadcasting from the Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis, Missouri. And I'm going to begin today with a prayer, as we always do, but in a very special way for the people of Turkey and Syria. All good and all loving God, we come to you in the face of this horrific tragedy. We know that no evil comes from you, and so we call out to you as we pray for those affected by the recent earthquakes. We ask that you draw close to those who are injured and grant them healing. Comfort those families who have lost loved ones and bring them consolation. Bless and protect those responding to this tragedy and guide their efforts. Inspire local and national leaders that they may offer support in the long recovery ahead. And in each of us, Lord, inspire compassion and loving action for our human family. Above all, as your body, guide us to a world without suffering, pain, or despair, a world full of love and everlasting life. Amen. So today, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Stuart Clem, who is a professor here at Aquinas Institute of Theology, a moral theologian, a graduate of Oklahoma State, right? Mm -hmm. uh, undergraduate degree and a master's MDiv there? Uh, MA, in MA, MA in philosophy, and then an MDiv at Duke University, and then a PhD at Notre Dame in moral, the moral theology, and also, uh, Stuart is a, a priest in the Episcopalian Church, and and yet uh, the Episcopalians acknowledge as well the great importance that St. Thomas Aquinas has played in the development of the theology and philosophy of our, our church. So that is a speciality that, that uh, uh, Dr. Clem brings to Aquinas Institute. I'm very happy to welcome him to Frank Fire Fridays. Uh, Stuart has just come out with a new book, uh, and the, the title is Lying and Truthfulness, A Thomistic Perspective, published by Cambridge University Press. Congratulations. Thank you. It's quite a, uh, I haven't, and I, I admitted to, to Stuart that I haven't gotten to read all of it. I recommend it to you. It's a little on the pricey side for a 300-page, 200-page book. It will be out in paperback, but not for a couple of years, unfortunately. Oh, really? But one of these days, it will be a yeah. more affordable paperback. Yeah. yeah. Well, go ahead. You, you can splurge. And if you really care about um, understanding the importance of, of truthfulness, let's say, not so much, um, but, well, how lying plays into that, of course. You know, Stuart, I... I, as I said, I haven't gotten to read all of it. I certainly intend to do that. But I want to start with some questions that you raised at the very beginning of this book and start with a little conversation about the responses to this because I think they are pertinent to all of us. We don't, we don't have to be a, a theologian or a moral theologian. Is it ever permissible to tell a lie? And what if no one is harmed as a result? And what if it is necessary to save someone from danger? What does it mean for a lie to be permissible? And permissible according to whom or to what? And what exactly is a lie anyway? Is there such a thing as a pure lie? 
a discreet act distinct from other kinds of moral actions. And I can't, I can't think I've ever, this is me speaking now, I'm not quoting a, what a pure, I've never really heard that term before. What does it mean to be truthful? Am I still being truthful if I try to mislead while technically adhering to the truth? So, Stuart, what do you have to say in this book about these very important questions for all of us? Yeah, well, I guess I'll start with uh, maybe saying a little bit about what led me to even think about this. In the yeah. First place. Oh, great. I was going to ask yeah. you that um, because I do I do try to answer all of those questions that you just read. Um, I don't I don't for a second think that I say everything that needs to be said or could be said about those questions, but I do think I give at least an answer to each mm-hmm. one of those uh, discrete questions that I, I opened the introduction with. Um, and then, of course, as the as the title suggests, and as, as you've already alluded to, uh, my my main interlocutor, my main resource is Saint Thomas Aquinas, uh, who uh, actually didn't really write that much on the topic of lying and truthfulness. I mean, if you look at the amount of text that he devoted to to these questions, it's actually not a lot. Um, but nevertheless, his views have been incredibly influential. Uh, not only in the moral theology of the Catholic Church or the Catholic tradition, but also just in Western uh, philosophical thought mm-hmm. and, and moral philosophy. Um, so I come to these these questions with really the same interest that the average person would have, right? And lying and, and truthfulness are perennial questions. Um, I think we all have a, a vague sense of Lying being morally problematic, you know, that um, that just lying in and of itself. I mean, setting aside some of the obvious cases where you know lies that are told to to harm other people, um, just lying in and of itself. There seems to be something you know morally not right about telling a lie. On the one hand, but on the other hand, we can all think of situations where it seems you know um, maybe not that bad to tell a lie, or in fact going to the other extreme seems like it might be the right thing to do, or it might be a good thing to tell a lie. And if that's the case, how do we make sense of that? You know, mm-hmm. how, how can lying be a, something that's generally a bad thing to do, um, yet be good in some instances? So just, just starting with that basic question is what, is what ultimately mm-hmm. led me to write a book about it. But then as I mentioned, my main resource has been uh, Thomas Aquinas, and the reason that I, I decided to write a whole book uh, trying to answer these questions about about lying with uh, St. Thomas's help is because I realized in my own research, um, as, I was, as I was just reading and trying to kind of get my own mind around uh, these, these questions and, and figure out what I thought for myself about these, these questions, um, I, I went to, to Aquinas, the primary text, and I read as everything that I could that had been written um, about what Aquinas says mm-hmm. about lying. There's, there's actually... Um, an enormous amount of secondary literature on this, um, entire books even, that have just been written over the last few decades, hmm. um, not to mention articles and you know um, all kinds of uh, commentators, uh, moral uh, manuals of theology and mm-hmm. tradition and so on that are commenting on what Aquinas has said about lying. And it became clear very quickly that um, you'll run into conflicting opinions, right? So on the one hand, there are people who, who say that, well, according to Aquinas, um, lying is always a sin. But then you read other thinkers who say, 
Well, according to Aquinas, um, it's only a sin to uh, to tell a lie um, when someone uh, that you're speaking with um, is owed the truth. Um, so right there, you you already see kind of mm-hmm. divergences, um, and then there are, there are more uh, kind of minute questions that some people probably wouldn't even think about this as he brings up these these uh, these questions um, people have to write something about them so he brings up for example the notion of the jocose lie and he's borrowing this from all the way back from augustine so hundreds of years before him uh, what is a jocose lie i mean we don't even really use the word jocose it has to do mm-hmm. with joking mm-hmm. uh, if you know if we do use that word in english today um, but you see this coming up in the literature too, and it's not entirely clear what he means, but it actually can become very important because sometimes Aquinas will say, well, uh, a jocose lie uh, by its genus is, is a venial sin. And you know, if you don't know what any of those words mean, then it's yeah. not really clear what is you know, at stake when it comes to telling certain kinds of lies. Um, so that's just a, a, you know, a little example of, of the kind of internal debates amongst um, Aquinas's interpreters and, and readers. So um, that led me down, you know, a rabbit hole uh, where I eventually just got to the point where I said, okay, I think I've read enough and I've thought about this enough um, that I, I have now enough to say on my own about, mm-hmm. about Aquinas on this topic um, that I should write a book about it because there, there really isn't a book out there that, that captures, I think, uh, Aquinas's ideas adequately. So I, so I did, I wrote a book. And uh, what do you, what do you think that it you know in in, the, in this book how is it how is it that it, this has not been something that's been I mean Thomas was writing eight hundred years ago uh, Augustine what seventeen hundred years mm-hmm. ago that this is not that there's still these distinctions that we're still talking about mm-hmm. trying to figure out what is it all where does it where is it really alive yeah. Yeah, it's it's it is surprising. I mean, you know, we could we could rightly ask how how is there anything left to say after all of this mm-hmm. time? And as I mentioned, there's actually quite a bit of literature on this topic. So what what is there that's new to say? Um, I think the reason that that there is still a lot to say, actually, and again, I don't even think that my book is exhausted. I think that there's there's plenty of room for for other books to be written, not just with opposing views, but even complementary perspectives. There's plenty more to say. I think. But the reason for that, uh, in part at least, is because I think that for the last, really the last several hundred years, um, Christians and, and Catholic moral theologians who, who have bothered even to engage Aquinas on, on the problem of lying have tended to, uh, to fit what Aquinas says into our kind of pre-existing categories and our pre-existing notions about morality and about right and wrong. And so, for example, um, even the way that we frame the question, right? So if we ask, is it ever permissible to tell a lie? Now, I think to most people, that's just going to sound like the most garden variety, basic moral question you could ask about lying. But it's actually an interesting uh, Mm -hmm. way of wording the question. And Mm -hmm. and in fact, if you were to, you know, if we had Aquinas in in the room with us, I think the first thing he would say is, well, hang on a second, we need to talk about that word permissible. Mm -hmm. What are we asking when we ask whether it's ever permissible to tell a lie? And of course, we might use other words. We might say, is it ever acceptable or is it ever Mm -hmm. justifiable? But we're all kind of, you know, getting at the same question. Sure. But in any case, I think St. Thomas's answer would be, 
Well, first we need to think about what we're talking about when we're talking about permissibility. And one of the, the main ideas that I, uh, just, that I focus on in the book is the distinction between mortal and venial sin, um, which is you know, not, not really um, a category that most people have. Even Catholics who are familiar with those terms, they don't tend to really draw upon that distinction in, in their everyday moral thinking. Um, and sometimes for good reason, right? It's been, it's been um, misunderstood, it's been abused. Um, moral theologians have tried to come up with uh, more helpful ways to think about the nature of, of sin and moral acts. And I understand all of that, but it doesn't change the fact that in order to understand what St. Thomas Aquinas says about lying, we have to understand what this mortal, venial distinction is doing in what he says. So the first major move that he makes is to say, not all lies are the same. There are different kinds of lies. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, for example, the precepts of the Decalogue, one of the commandments says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now what's interesting is that throughout the Christian tradition, uh, both before and after St. Thomas, many theologians have made it a point of saying this commandment, this precept, is the scriptural basis for prohibiting all lies. It's, it's, this is how we can know that all mm -hmm. lies are sinful. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can see the logic there. But that's not the route that St. Thomas goes. What he right. says is, well, we need to pay attention to the wording of that commandment. It says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the fact of the matter is that many times when we tell lies, it doesn't really fit that description, right? Sure. You show up for late for a meeting at work, right? And, and you feel awkward, and so you make an excuse. You say, oh, I had a bunch of red lights on the way to work, but really it was because you slept through your alarm clock, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, you could tell a lie to get, you know, somebody out of trouble. And there's the you know, sort of the classic uh, moral dilemma of refugees hiding in your basement, and, you know, somebody comes to your door, an intruder, or somebody who's pursuing them, and asking, do you have refugees in your house? You lie in order to save a life. Mm -hmm. So there are all kinds of instances that we can imagine or that we actually do on a day-to-day -day basis where we utter falsehoods, uh, we mislead, we deceive, um, that does not fit the description of that commandment of bearing false witness against one's neighbor. It's a fairly obvious point, but it's, it's, it's actually the cornerstone, I think, of his analysis of lying, because he says that those kinds of lies are um, against God's commandments. Uh, they constitute mortal sin. Um, they're, they're very serious. They should never be done. Um, there are no exceptions. There are, there are no circumstances in which we can say telling a lie of that sort uh, would make it a morally good or right action. Um, so that, that's the first point that he drives home. And then in, um, that gives us room to think then about, well, what, what do we say about these other kinds of, of lies? So, um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a, a key distinction. Yeah. In Islam. Well, and I found it helpful. You, towards the end, I was reading one of the, the chapters, which we'll get to, and you talk about um, how difficult it is for somebody to, to actually commit a mortal sin. Mm -hmm. um, it, it means something very specific. Mm -hmm. And yet, I, as a confessor, without getting into specifics, uh, I have people that think they've committed a mortal sin, mm -hmm. and I hope that they 
believe me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because well, I just had somebody recently within the last couple of weeks, and it wasn't any, it wasn't in this area. And again, it doesn't matter what it was. But I said, they said, I'm not sure this is a mortal sin. And then they, and I said, you know, before you even tell me, let me tell you something. If you're not sure, it's probably not. <laughs> because there's, you know, there's this very, there's a, a sense of, of real rupture with your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so I, they went ahead and I said, yeah, see, there's, there's not a mortal sin there, mm-hmm. you know. And of course they felt greatly relieved. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about lying, so what would what would you think would be a good example? I mean, you sort of alluded to that already about what would be sort of the mortal sin that relates to, the, to lying, and what would be the more venial mm-hmm. uh, uh, characteristic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he has a, he has a few ways of um, kind of classifying these types of lies. He has, he has a few different taxonomies that he uses. So I, I won't kind of belabor that that point, but just a couple, to throw out a couple of basic distinctions that he makes. Um, one is the category of uh, useful lies or officious lies. Mm-hmm. Um, the other category is beneficent lies. So, uh, and he definitely sees these as being on kind of a scale of, of sinfulness. So, the lies that are, are useful that don't harm anyone—that's that's, that's a, a mm-hmm. kind of assumed with this category. Because if it's if it's a lie that is told with the intention uh, of harming someone, right. uh, which is an injustice, that is what brings you into the territory of moral sin. Mm-hmm. But, but bracketing that intention, setting that aside, if we're talking about lies that are told um, just because it makes life a little bit easier than having to tell mm-hmm. you know, the whole truth, um, that that is in the realm of venial sin. Um, but even, even less sinful than that are lies with an intention of, of helping somebody else. Um, and one, I mean, of course, there are plenty of examples of this, and I already alluded to the, the perennial moral dilemma of, you know, lying to save the refugees hiding in your right. basement. But there, there are also numerous um, biblical examples of this. And so this is, um, this is something that uh, St. Thomas says to deal with because it's part of the tradition. Mm-hmm. It's in Scripture. So, you know, examples include um, Rahab, uh, lying to um, the soldiers to mm-hmm. hide uh, Joshua and Caleb's uh, who were spies. Um, there's a story of the Hebrew midwives who um, who, mm-hmm. who lie to say to save the the Hebrew children, um, and basically their excuses. I'm sort of paraphrasing here, is but they say, "Oh, the Hebrew women are so so hardy that uh, yeah, you know yeah, the, yeah. The, the, they they, they, don't need they give birth before yeah before we can even get there, and so you know we we don't know where they are." Um, so there are numerous biblical examples that he deals with, and he says that you know these, even though there is something um, disordered uh, about the act of telling the lie itself, like that, if you if you isolate that moment, that action of telling a lie, he says there is something undue about about that act. So it's it can't be, it's not quite right according to Thomas to say that that act of telling a falsehood is morally good or morally praiseworthy. But he does say that set, situated within the general context of what these people are doing and their intention, because what was actually motivating, for example, the Hebrew midwives was their fear of God. Um, they didn't really go about it the right way. It wasn't, you know, they could, there was perhaps a better way in which they could have achieved that end at which they were aiming. Um, 
and there's something praiseworthy about their intention. He even he even points to scripture where it says that God, uh, in, at least in the Vulgate text that he was working with, it says God gave them houses, and he interprets that as as uh, spiritual houses, mm-hmm. a kind of eternal reward. And he's but here he's clear. He says not for the lie itself, but for their fear of God, which motivated their mm-hmm. actions. So it's mm-hmm. very it's very nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and what's what's important there is that unlike some other thinkers, uh, both within and without uh, the Christian tradition, he says that the the lie by being a venial sin is still compatible with charity. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there, uh, a kind of classic example of of what some people refer to as as a kind of rigorism when it comes to lying. Mm-hmm. Um, means that there's a universal moral norm in which a lie uh, can never be told and that basically it creates a line in the sand and says you know there are truthful statements and then there are lies and once you've crossed over you know you've, you've committed a sin or some kind of serious moral wrongdoing um, and the the details of the circumstances really don't matter that much when it comes to our moral mm-hmm. analysis of what's happening um, so one of the classic kind of rigorous is Immanuel Kant and uh, like kind of like Aquinas, Kant does, has not written a lot about the problem of lying. It's really all contained within a few pages, but his his view amounts to the idea that um, there is no justification whatsoever for telling the lie, and that in fact it's so serious that you should either tell the truth or remain silent if someone uh, is coming to your house looking for refugees, mm. uh, and that basically his the logic is that the blood is on their hands not yours mm. so he's, he's more concerned with this kind of moral purity sure um, than about you know saving the refugees whereas Aquinas has again I want to be clear here it's not Aquinas is not saying that the end justifies the means right that a, an otherwise sinful act can become a morally good act because of the outcome or something like that he still thinks that there's something um, disordered about the lie but because he has the, these theological resources and this theological framework, he's able to give a much more nuanced view than somebody like Immanuel Kant. Yeah. Join us next week when we continue with our conversation with Dr. Stuart Clem on his book, Lying and Truthfulness, A Thomistic Perspective. Thank you for being with us.